Welcome to The Positive Cynic. I'm Becky. By nature, I'm a glass half empty kind of person, but I'm trying to be more positive, talking to people about things they really love doing that make them feel better. This week, collecting or decluttering. I think books are really important, but something I really enjoy about books is reading a book, loving a book, and then passing it on to somebody who I think will really enjoy it. I'm talking down the line to book lover and lifelong declutterer, Kate Acer. Space is my friend. Who takes her minimalist aesthetic from her Swedish family. My saying is clear house, clear mind. And passionate book collector and former development director of the London Library, Philip Spedding. I'm surrounded by bookcases in this room and then there's some more downstairs and I've run out of bookshelf space so I'm now filling in books behind books and it is always a problem even at the London Library which had over a million books you start to run out of space if you keep buying. I'm guilty of holding on to too many things myself why am I lazy can't get away from the sense that it might be useful one day heartbroken at the possibility that things lost are lost forever. Then you get into that difficult thing of, of getting rid of books I gain a sort of visceral connection to book, even after I've read it so I feel that taking it away and putting it in a charity shop or whatever is abandoning uh, a much-loved friend. So I'm very bad at getting rid of books, but very good at buying them, which, to misuse Micawber's phrase, results in unhappiness. Who will convince me, the positive cynic, stuck in the middle ground, spending far too much time looking at the screen? Behind me are three or four shelves of play scripts. I'm particularly proud of my collection of, of Tom Stoppard, Harold Pinter and Alan Bennett. All three, I've either acted in their plays or, or met them. Tom was the president of the London Library when I was there, so it was a great honour to be in regular contact with him on library matters. Stoppard seems to support decluttering, Septimus says to Thomasina. We shed as we pick up, like travellers who must carry everything in their arms. And what we let fall will be picked up by those left behind. The procession is very long and life is very short. I've got a bookcase with the rare books in it. Although I love taking them out and looking at them, I wouldn't use it as a bedside copy to read. I would buy a cheap copy, and as indeed I have done, and read that instead because it makes more sense. For most people, they would want their library or their reading space to be a calm place. Books on books and piles of books around on the floor would not be a place that I could enjoy reading. I then asked Philip about some of his most valuable books. Well, I have a signed copy of the second Harry Potter book. That probably isn't a reading copy, given that it's it's about a thousand pounds worth. I got her to sign it at some. I found it in in W. H. Smith's, the back of a shelf in Elephant and Castle, and I got her to sign it a few years later. But that's too valuable, just to, and and it's on cheap paper, so it'd be quite easy to tear the pages, which would have a material effect on the value. Happiness is not really found in material things, and as much as possible, I try to stick to that so that I don't think, well, when I buy the next thing or the next thing, that will make me happier, and I can focus more on what I have right now. I live in hope that space will somehow magically appear when experience has taught me space never appears. And why do you think people collect things? Freud is very cruel about it. Tying it back to toilet training, the collector trying to gain back control, 
and those possessions that were lost so many years ago. Well, uh, my partner says uh, it's because I went to boarding school and, and so I lived away from home from the age of seven to 17. And of course, that means you don't really have any possessions because you have a little box with, with whatever your possessions are, but you're not allowed to really have much around you. Uh, she thinks it, it's, it's connected to me and, and those early formative years of my life. I, I think I just get enormous pleasure from, well, there's two elements. One, there's enormous pleasure from seeing the collection and, and exploring it. But inevitably, the other half of the fun is the hunt and trying to find that elusive edition of a book that uh, makes you feel that your collection is even more complete than it was before. And where did it start for you? I used to live in Canada, in Vancouver, and I can remember buying a, a book called Amphigori. I bought it in the, the Granville Bookstore in Vancouver, downtown Vancouver. And that started a lifelong love of the work of uh, an American writer and illustrator called Edward Gorey. And that's the biggest collection, is a huge collection of Gorey's books. And I've, I've loved buying English copies of his books that were signed by him. So that's, that is clearly an example of, of book buying that isn't about necessarily reading what's in them. Because I'd already bought it. I bought this, this compendium of his stories. Uh, but I wanted the original editions as well. And, and very importantly, pictures. That's where I, I gained my love of illustration. And what's very odd is that illustration art in this country has always been looked down upon by the serious art cognoscenti. They look down on Quentin Blake and whatever. But actually, these are hugely uh, important pieces of art that, that for a lot of people is, is their main understanding of the visual arts and, and it really drives into the brain I think. And how many people see your collection apart from you? There are collectors around the world some of whom I've, I've got to know and, and, and we've shared pictures or indeed if I've met up with them shown them things that they might find interesting. Often it's, it's minutiae so I, I recently learned th there was a, a Swedish box set of Gory's books produced in 1965 and there's two variants on the case. One has a yellow flap at the bottom and one has a sort of greenish flap. And only 150 of the yellow flap bottom ones were produced. And that is what mine is. So I recently found out that you, you start getting really excited by the curious stories as to how these books have been produced and whether there are uh, special features of some that make them even more limited than that. And my goal now is to find a signed copy of this box set of books which must exist, but I've never actually seen one. And I've been collecting his work for about 30 years now, 30 or 40 years. Every now and then when you find someone who has a shared interest and you can swap out stories and swap elements of the collection with them, it's, it's, it, I don't know, it just gives me enormous pleasure. But I suppose the same pleasure comes for anyone who is a collector of anything, whether it's cigarette cards or Star Wars toys or whatever it else turns you on. Quite recently, I acquired a selection of matches and matchbooks that my grandpa had been collecting his whole life he had a lot and a lot were thrown away I just got a small bowl full and they were collected from different bars and restaurants and places he'd been all around the world and I spent the evening googling all these different places and it was actually amazing because that was like following a trail of where he'd been in his life and that was something quite special I, I am not as voracious as some shall we say I was about to say I'm not nuts but I'm, let's say I'm not as voracious as some I do gain, I do enjoy looking at the, the items that I have collected. It gives me great pleasure to see them. In fact, the Gory collection, I am trying to now catalog so that I know what I've got, um, because I suspect there are some duplicates in that. And 
and it may be sensible to move some of those on. I don't need two or three copies of some of these things. So I do look at them and I do enjoy them, but clearly for some it is purely the hunt that is the, the joy of it. The sad thing about the hunt, though, as a book collector, is the loss of second-hand bookshops. The joy of going to a new town was to try to find the second-hand bookshop, which was often in a down a little alleyway, down somewhere where you wouldn't normally go, away from the high street. There were these curious places with even more curious owners selling stock, either massively overpriced or massively underpriced. And, and the hunt was a very visceral hunt. Now you just go online and tap into a website and up the book comes and you can buy it. And it obviously makes sense and it's incredibly difficult for any shop on the high street to survive and bookshops doubly so not least because they have competition from charity shops that don't pay rates. But it is very sad. The joy of the hunt is lessened, to my mind, has been lessened by the internet. There are very few of them left now. Uh, physical shops on the high street into which you can go into this Aladdin's cave to find what happens to be on their shelves. Absolutely. And it's about the sensual nature of books, I suppose, as well. And there is an indefinable feeling when you walk into a second-hand bookshop that smell and the yes. sense of discovery and the fact that it might not be as organized or catalogued as a library that gives a sense not only of history but of infinite possibility but then you also used to get those lovely bookshops that had had second-hand bookshop disease um, going back to collectors which had bought more books than they had shelves to display so there would be piles of books. And I used to live up in Belsize Village, and there was a wonderful second-hand bookshop there where the piles of books on the ground had almost reached the cash desk. So there was no way of getting down to look at the books on the shelves because there was literally a mountain of books in front of you that you couldn't climb over. And it was it, it, I mean, a pointless shop in terms of selling anything, but a wonderful space into which to walk and to look at the irascible owner scowling at you as you wandered into a shop, almost as if he, he resented the fact you were in his shop. Marie Kondo says, if the image of someone getting rid of books or having only a few books makes you angry, that should tell you how passionate you are about books. I suppose I'm just quite limited in what I feel sentimental about. There's nothing that I'm collecting and there's nothing that I feel adds value to my home if it's also adding clutter. It was exactly 20 years ago that perhaps the most famous declutterer of all, Michael Landy, destroyed all his possessions in Breakdown, his exhibition, which he described like witnessing his own funeral. That's extreme, but I can see the attraction. It's about an emotional connection, it's about identity, but it also seems to be about you know, leaving something behind. If you think about Horace writing poetry in order to leave a monument, there is a sense of, of objects having a power. So I was really sort of slightly troubled by the Michael Landy stunt, some might call it. He claimed he was a lot happier afterwards. I'm not sure I would be the same. <laughs> Your possessions are part of who you are. Now, some people hate that. Some people hate that that sense of, of history upon their shoulders. When my, my father loved it in Canada, the weight of English history wasn't any longer on his shoulders. But I didn't enjoy that. And maybe Michael Landis should go and live in the new world, get rid of even his sense of the past, of where he comes from, to truly feel free. And if it works for him, Godspeed to him. It wouldn't work for me. <laughs> 
My husband's family has a little wooden hut in the middle of nowhere with just the snow around and there's something so simple and wonderful about being there, it really recharges your batteries. The only thing that I would say about books is they contain knowledge. To take down a book and learn something, one probably couldn't get from much else. And of course, you got a debate about whether, well, you know, you've got Google. Why do you need a book? Just just tap in what it is you want to know and, and Google will tell you. Except, of course, the thing is about Google is by, by dint of putting in the search words, you're narrowing the field. The joy of picking up a book is that you're able to flick through and find things by serendipity. And I do think that, that part of the battle of life is, is to try and remove algorithms from how you learn and how you understand. It is very easy, um, because the internet is structured this way, that if you believe in something, the internet will continue to show you stuff that inf enhances that belief. And the more we lose serendipity, the, more, the, the poorer we are going to be as people and as a society, because true innovation comes from serendipity. It doesn't come from endorsing one's current understanding. I think my sense of serendipity is found more in people and interactions with people than in things. I suppose it can happen wherever you look for it. Marie Kondo has a preference for keeping only 30 books. Think about what you have and about the discovery of your sense of value. Yes, I love the process. To me, that is a hobby in itself, I think. Clearing through things, purging through what I own and getting out of the house. Do you need the before and after picture or is the actual act of getting rid of things pleasurable? Because the actual act of getting rid of things for me is deeply traumatic. Like, I would like the ultimate result, but I can't go through the process. Well, I'll just come round to your house and get rid of everything. <laughs> Maybe I should just go out for the day and then... Oh. <gasps> I need to take a leaf out of your book or lack of books. But I'm about to start. I want to read Tristram Shandy. The copy I've got is from 17... 1783. And it's still got that old system of... of I can't remember what it's called, but the S printed vaguely like an F. I'm reliably informed this is known as the long S. Lawrence Stern quite appositely comments, So long as a man rides his hobby horse peaceably and quietly along the king's highway, and neither compels you or me to get up behind him, pray, sir, what have either you or I to do with it? Live and let live. Yeah, I feel like I should have been a bit more hard-nosed, but you were so convincing that I've not really been able to take <laughs> you down. Apart from the fact that, I mean, if you live in a small flat in London and you can't uh, move, yeah, yeah. it's not necessarily that good for your well-being, is it? No, but, th but then what you do is, is you join the London Library or, or your local library and, and you um, use that as, as if it's your life. I think you're lying. I think it's a huge scam. I think you're just a natural enthusiast, which is just <laughs> Masquerading <laughs> as a cynic. <laughs> as Stoppard says, we shed as we pick up. So I can have a one-in-one-out policy, can't I? Or maybe two-in-one-out. Or maybe three-in-one-out. 
Anyway, I'll have a one out policy at some point. My thanks to my guests, Kate Acer and Philip Spedding. You've been listening to The Positive Cynic on books and collecting with me, Becky Mills. If you'd like to find out more, you can follow us on Twitter at Cynic Audio or send us an email, positivecynicaudio at gmail.com. Till next time.